3: hey guys it's candace and kayla and we are directionally challenged yep
6: we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we are in our 30s but surprise we don't no we don't (laughs) no but you know what can help us figure some things out television thank (laughs) goodness for television in the past year. Kayla, have you watched more television in the last year with 2020 um, or less? Like looking back now that we're in 2021.
3: Oh my gosh. I I think everyone's has the same experience as I do. All I did was watch television. That's all we had to talk about for a long time. It's the best way to escape a really hard time in the world. So anytime I had some free time, yes, I turned to television. How about you? So much television, and I,
6: I loved that everyone was saying like I finished Netflix. You know, everyone just watched everything that was out, and I was one of those people. I know you were one of those people. And one of the shows that we could not stop talking about for a while was The Queen's Gambit.
3: You loved that show. I'm obsessed with the show. Candace and I talked about it religiously. I'm sure. I mean, so many people were obsessed with The Queen's Gambit.
6: Oh, 62 million to be exact. So if you're listening to this and you happen to not know what The Queen's Gambit is, it's a show on Netflix and it's about a character named Beth Harmon. She was orphaned at the tender age of nine. She's a prodigious introvert that discovers and masters the game of chess in the 1960s USA. Yet The Queen's Gambit attracted 62 million account viewers during its first month alone on Netflix. That's insane. Um, Not only were people watching The Queen's Gambit to watch all this chess playing, but sales of chess sets even went up 125% after the release of Queen's Gambit. So the chess craze officially took over, which got us thinking. We love this show. We know nothing about chess, uh, but the whole idea of this badass young woman taking charge in the chess world, you know, that if that was happening fictionally in the 60s, like is that happening today? And it is. And so we decided to have a professional chess player on our show today.
3: And we are so excited, you guys. Today, we are sitting down with Alexandra Botez. She is an American-born Canadian chess player and commentator, Twitch live streamer, and YouTuber. As a player, she holds the prestigious International Chess Federation title for Women's FIDE Master. Botes was also the first female president of the Stanford Chess Club. An aggressive player, Botes is currently one of the top 10 female players in Canada. She and her younger sister Alexandra host Botes Live, Twitch, and YouTube channels where they specialize in chess content. We are so excited to sit down with Alexandra today and pick her brain and learn what her life experience is. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Alexandra Botes.
6: Alexandra Botez, we are so happy to have you. Uh, we're big fans of the Queen's Gambit, which uh, essentially led us to you. <laughs> Neither Kayla nor myself are chess players, mind you. So, um, but we obviously, uh, in kind of learning about the Queen's Gambit, saw your name popping up a lot as kind of this modern day real life Queen's Gambit. How has it been getting this all new like attention? specifically because you're a female chess player?
5: Well, first, I just want to say I'm also huge fans of YouTube. And I thought it was so cool. I was a big Vampire Diaries fan. So I just had to let that out so that I could focus now. (laughs) Um, you're so cute that's awesome yeah for sure so when when queen's gambit came out i was actually working with um the people who produced it because we were going to do a promotion of it on stream and they reached out and they said we're working on this queen's gambit show and i'm like oh cool netflix is doing some chess show they want us to promote it makes sense i had no idea it would be this huge. I had a little bit of early access and I binged the entire thing in one night and I loved it, but I thought maybe I just liked it because I can relate with it. Nobody else is going to find chess entertaining. We've been trying to put chess in the popular culture for so long. So for somebody who has been playing the game since they were six years old, I used to play competitively and then I turned being a chess content creator into my career. This went above and beyond anything I could expect. It's like people who are into something super niche before it gets cool and they never thought it would get cool.
6: Chess has been around for a very long time. Um, It's, you know, Grandmasters and Upstarts have been reinventing the game online. Even though the history of chess can be found all the way back 1500 years. It's been around for a very long time. But Mm -hmm. how does it feel to know that you have been changing the way that people play chess and consume chess? Just right now, you're referencing, you know, your online community, because this is how a lot of people have been playing chess and consuming chess Mm -hmm. in recent years, even before Queen's Gambit, correct?
5: Yeah. And I mean, people have been playing chess online since, you know, the 2000s, But I still think it's really wild to think about the idea of modernizing the world's oldest game. The -hmm. fact that people still play chess and that it's developing so much. And a lot of people would talk about how computers are going to kill chess or that at some point at the highest levels, chess is getting so accurate that it's almost not entertaining to watch anymore. Then you have 2020 happen where there's this explosion of interest in chess, especially online chess, which tends to be a much faster time format, which tends to captivate people a lot more, especially with our attention spans dwindling <laughs> as you know, the TikTok <laughs> generation is taking over.
3: Speaking of attention spans, I really want to know how does a six-year-old fall in love with the game of chess? Because, you know, you are, while other girls are, you know, brushing their doll's hair and learning how to braid their own hair, you're mastering this, uh, uh, this game, Tell us, how, how does this happen?
5: So I think Eastern European culture is very different when it comes to different gender roles, especially for girls. Girls do math, they do chess, they become engineers. Um, and chess had been passed on in my family and my dad was super competitive. And he liked trolling my mother, which doesn't <laughs> sound good, but I promise it gets better. Um I told her, I'm gonna teach our little six-year-old how to play chess and I bet she'll beat you in two weeks. And I was like, no, I know how to play. It's not going to work. And all my dad did is he focused on tricks, like how to checkmate in four, or if they defend a little bit, just deviate. So I didn't really know very much. I just knew how to go for the simple trick. So then I beat my mom and I felt so excited, even though it's not like she was a good chess player or anything, but then my dad took that as a sign. And I would basically say chess with my dad almost every single day leading up until, um, I, placed first in nationals when I was eight years old for girls, 10 and under in Canada. And that was really exciting. And then I got to compete in the world youth championship. So it was one of those things where when
6: you taste some kind of early success, it's really addicting for you as a kid. Mm. Well, especially when you're playing against your parents, like that's, you know, that's the ultimate, like every kid wants to beat their parent at like some kind of game. I mean, our five-year-old, if, you know, if she doesn't win it, sorry, it's like the end of the world. And when she wins, she gloats about it all night. So I definitely, you know, not a chess player, but she kicks some butt at sorry, not to brag. Awesome. That is awesome. Would you ever let your daughter win at the game to encourage her? Um, no, I'm also very competitive. Like the way you're describing your dad is kind of how me and my husband are. So, um, you know, if, if she's got a, like an unlucky streak, I'll try to like maybe bend a rule here and there, but you know, I want her to learn to, play fair. And she's got to be a graceful, like if she loses, I want her to lose gracefully. Um, But you have a sister as well. Was your dad teaching your sister at this time too? Because I know your sister's very good at chess at this point.
5: Yeah. So my sister is six and a half years younger. Um, So when I started chess, she had just been, I mean, just been born basically. So she did start playing later on also. And my dad coached her as well. And she reached expert level. Um, So she was able to be a pretty decent chess player as well.
3: Now, your dad was your coach for a significant amount of your career in the beginning. And what is that like to have a parent coach you on something? Were you able to have that sort of like coach and pupil relationship and then also have a father daughter relationship? Or how does that switch on and off?
5: It, it, it's interesting because you know how there's the famous question, is it better to be feared or loved? Well, when your dad is your coach, it's both. You love them, but you also <laughs> fear them. When he's looking at my game from behind, I was shaking a little bit, trying not to do anything wrong. Um, so it's actually a very unique relationship to have a parent like that, especially when I was young. My dad would get really upset when I would make mistakes. And, you know, then we'd talk about it. If I'd want to hang out with friends, he'd say things like, remember when you hung out with friends on Wednesday, that's why you lost your game on Saturday. And Oh, God. I, oh God. Okay. I guess I have to go study chess. So it was super <laughs> intense, um, until I got older. And then you switch from being a kid who needs to be pushed to somebody who is self-motivated because you've put so much time into something that it's actually starting to become a realistic goal. Um, and my dad and my parents and I in general have a really good relationship, but I do remember how scared I would be sometimes as a kid to let him down.
3: And once he was solely your dad and then you had yeah. a different coach, did the relationship change at that point?
5: Um, it did change for sure. And then it would be my coaches who would push me a little bit more, but my dad was so into the game that I could tell it would break his heart almost as much as mine. When I would lose a game.
6: Now, when you're younger, were you telling your friends at school? Like, Oh yeah, I play chess all the time. You know, usually kids are in dance class or theater class or sports and soccer. Um, Chess is such a specific activity to be doing Mm -hmm. at such a young age. Did you feel like you could relate to friends? Um, Did you kind of keep it to yourself? What was it like to be such a young chess player? Um, And also, were you playing other adults or were there a lot of other kids your age playing chess at the time?
5: So, right now, things are very different where I think it's becoming cool to be smart. I love it. I hope the trend keeps (laughs) up this way. But when I was growing up, this was not the trend at all. I was so embarrassed to be a chess player. Um, My friends would be like, when are you quitting chess? I wouldn't tell anybody at school. I remember when I was 12, I won um, the North American championship for my category and I missed like two weeks of school. And I came back and I just told people that I had been sick um, my, my, my teacher knew, but I didn't want to talk about it. And I, and there was one kid whose parents had been on the plane back from Argentina, where I went to compete in a tournament. And then he came to me the next day and he's like, I know your secret. You're a chess geek. Be nice (laughs) to me. or I'll tell everyone. And I was mortified because, you know, the middle school was tough. Everybody would really get picked on, especially if you were the nerdy kid. So I actually kept it to myself for, um, you know, most of my uh, middle school and in high school until it just started coming out and now it's okay to be a chess player. So it's great to talk about. Um, but things are very different. And then to answer your second question, um, I-, I did play with a lot of adults when I was a girl. So like, you know, a little seven-year-old kid sitting on cushions, playing against grandparents, trying to beat them. And-, and that was a very exciting experience. I did like beating older people. And my dad would always tell me, don't worry, their brain's a little bit slower than yours. They had a long <laughs> day of work You've been focused on this, use everything to beat them. <laughs>
3: Oh, that's such a good, that's such good advice. Now you are known you have a signature move now called the Botez gambit. We are Candace and I do not play chess. Like she said, can you explain it to us in layman's terms so we can understand Mm -hmm. what makes this move so special?
5: It's actually a meme, which is hilarious because people who look on the outside sometimes think it's good and it blows my mind. Um, and I love it. I love it when people think it's a good move, but Basically, I play really quick chess often. So let's say I have 60 seconds for an entire game, and I'm also talking to my chat. So basically, the shorter the time control for chess, the more inaccuracies you make. And I would often give my queen the most important piece for free. And then I'd get really upset. So then I just started joking. I was like, you know what? It's the botan's gambit. It's all part of the. (laughs) It works out. So now when you give your queen for free or no compensation... It's a Botez gambit
6: <laughs> I yeah, I thought from what I read it was um, it was more framed as the aggressive style in which you play so that's very mm-hmm. funny that uh, that that's what it actually the Botes gambit is. Do you feel that you were coached to have such an aggressive playing style um, that you taught yourself to be an aggressive chess player or that you kind of just have to be born, Understanding the game. For me, I'm so intimidated by the idea of even trying to learn chess, even before us talking today. I'm like, okay, well, let me just get some basic terms down. And it was a foreign language completely to me. Do you feel that you kind of like, people are just gifted or that anyone can learn chess? Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, there's certainly chess prodigies who become grandmasters at 14 or something like that. And they're one of the best in the world. And for sure, they are gifted. Um, But in terms of becoming a master chess player, I do think anybody can do it. It helps a lot if you learn as a kid because you're such a sponge when you're a kid, like learning languages and certain things are much easier. Um, But I have had friends who are adult learners and they were able to pick it up. What I think is hard is the difficulty at the start can be really intimidating. Um, And to me, it reminded me of learning other really hard things. For example, I studied um, Mandarin in college. And for the first month I wanted to give up. It was so foreign, so hard. I thought I'd never be able to pick up anything. And then you push through that initial barrier and then you realize that you can start doing it. You just have to let yourself not be intimidated at first and be willing to push through the first, however, period of time that might just be uncomfortable.
3: That's such a wonderful advice because there are so many times in life that we all experience that and we hit that what we think is our breaking point and we just Mm -hmm. want to give up. And it really is so important to push through that. And I think you having that mentality is what helps you master this game. Now, what I want to talk about is the trash talking for a minute, because so many of the articles um, on you talk about trash talking and also talk about how your dad, that's part of his technique. So he taught you to do that. Now, I know nothing about chess, but in my head, I instantly go to, um, you know, before boxing matches, how they stand in front of each other and trash talk each other to their face. Now, is this a thing you do during the game, before the game, after the game? Take me through it. Oh, I love that you're into the trash talk. I really appreciate that. So obviously,
5: when you're playing in a classical tournament, it's like in Queen's Gambit. It's silent, people just stare down, you're not supposed to talk. But in online chess, you're basically talking the entire time. And I grew up with a dad who loved trash talk. When he would beat me when I'd be 10 you be like, oh, sweetie, you give up your piece like that. And I paid so much for your coaching lessons. Oh like I God. would always just get, you know, trash talked if I would do anything wrong. So I had to learn as a young kid to adapt and trash talk back. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, your brain is going to go away faster than mine, dad. Or, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> it takes like a little kid um so now when i stream online i do trash talk mostly for the entertainment i never try to trash on something that's real about someone it's just about their chess and things that are not important to kind of spook them out of their element a little bit and it's just really entertaining it does remind me of ufc and when you're going head-to-head combat you want to tell the story a little bit more and put something on the line because if it's just a game and you're playing it's fun but when you're trying to um you know tickle the person emotionally a little bit, they're much more motivated to beat you. And it also feels worse when they lose. So I think I just like upping the stakes, if that makes sense.
6: Do you have an example, like something we could trash talk our husbands later with like some chess terms we could throw at them just to completely confuse them? Uh, to completely
5: confuse them. I, I, I think the best thing about trash talk is when it's contextual. So when somebody does a really bad move and then you can tie it into something they did earlier, I think it's really hard to trash talk someone if you don't know what they did wrong.
3: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so fair. basically they fair. won't understand it at all. Yeah. It's not even worth <laughs> trying. <laughs> exactly.
5: No, I mean, I mean, if, if, if there's something that you know, your husband does that you think is a little annoying, that's something you can trash talk and bring up. <laughs>
6: But so oh, what are like trash talking chess terms? I'm like, what are what are what are kind of standard trash talking chess terms that get thrown around?
5: Um, I, I I think when somebody has a piece that they really misplace, you could be kind of sarcastic about it. So, for example, bishops are worth three points um, and you could be like, oh, it's a really nice pawn you have on B2 there. It's actually a bishop, but it's placed so poorly that it's acting like a pawn. So you can just make <laughs> one of people's pieces. Something like that makes sense. <gasps> I love it. (laughs) I like it. Or you're supposed to keep your king very safe. And let's say somebody has been getting checked and it's like, oh yeah, your king is really getting his exercise today. Like he's going all the (laughs) way to the other side of the board because he's trying to run. And it's not something you should be doing, but you just kind of joke about it a little.
3: What I love so much about this is it's, it's like trash talking, but it's also lighthearted and joking. And I know that there are, we've all experienced being online that the internet is has a dark side as well. And in some of the articles you have spoken about, like, you know, there are online trolls that are not very kind and how, you know, it's your job to read the comments and to be involved in all that. And how do you ignore the bad comments and manage that? Because at such a young age to go through that. So publicly isn't always easy.
5: Yeah. Um, I I think you have to think about the person who's giving their opinion. And there was this really good Ted talk I listened to recently, which I think is one of the most watched ones. Um, and it talks about courage and vulnerability. And she's basically quoting Theodore Roosevelt with his, um, saying about the man in the arena. Like if you're the person who's actually out there in the middle, putting your sweat and your tears and putting yourself out there, you're not going to listen to the people in the audience who are just laughing at you from the outside. If there's another man in the arena with you and he tells you something, you respect his opinion, but somebody who's just out there to criticize you, you shouldn't take it to heart. And, and I, I think about that all the time. And the other way I, I think about it is sometimes guys come in and they're like, Girls are just always going to be worse, such as like, you're just famous because uh, you're a girl and you have, you know, I'm a girl parts, whatever. I'm not going to say those. <laughs> and then the way I think about it is it's kind of like when a toddler gets upset at you. you, you can't be upset. It's a toddler. He doesn't know better. You know, just let him yell. He's going to run out of steam. It's his mental capacity. It's not you. <laughs>
6: I love that. And the TED Talk I think you're referring to is Brene Brown. I love that one, too. It's a good one to watch at least once a year, if not more, especially with today's online climate. Um, I do want to reference the sexism that was seen throughout Queens of Gambit. Uh, specifically with Beth Harmon's character, is that something that you've also experienced playing chess nowadays? Like, or do you feel like it's not as men versus women? Or is it kind of reminiscent of what was portrayed in Queens of Gambit?
5: I actually think it's wild when people say Queens Gambit showed sexism because they watered it down so much to me, they show no sexism compared to what it's like, which I liked because they were able to focus the show on her as a chess player and not make it about her being a female chess player, which, you know, sometimes you tend to get caught in the weeds doing. Um, but if it would have been an accurate historical representation um, in, in the 60s when she was playing, she wouldn't have even been allowed to play in things like the world championship qualifier, even if she was able to make it. So I don't think they showed sexism. They were so nice to her when she'd win a game. Whereas if you see um a real female back in the day beating someone, they wouldn't even shake her hand or look at her. They just get up from the table and walk away angrily. Whereas in the Queen's Gambit, they hug her, they congratulate her. Like, what's going on? I like it, but this, yeah. is, not, this, <laughs> not, this is not the reality of it. And everybody every female who's who's played chess seriously for a period of time has some stories about sexism obviously it's not the majority of people who do it but sometimes it could be overwhelming how many people hold a certain opinion so for example the idea that women are genetically inferior to men at chess is held by such a high percentage of professionals and I, it kind of blows my mind sometimes i know i know the Opinion is changing, but it's one of those things where you want to be careful to not listen to it too much because then it's going to start um, impacting your subconscious and you might actually start believing it and it'll hurt your performance.
3: Can you talk to us about any experiences specifically that you've had, um, just even when you were younger or even recent?
5: Yeah. I mean, it's very common for when you're playing at a, a tournament where there's a lot of females, like the Olympiad, because they try to make it 50, 50 for males and women to play where people will just say, Oh my gosh, I feel so bad for that coach. And it's like, why is it? Because it's difficult. No. Cause he has to teach girls and they're bad at chess or you, you just get a comment like that at almost every single tournament. Like, ah, oh, you're, you're good for a girl. Or I only played so badly against you. Cause I had a crush on you. I was like, okay, really? That's oh, why?" Oh, why? So, that's so they, bad. It, belittling your wins and saying that you were only able to win because of your appearance when, You've been sitting at that board for five hours,
6: you know? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
7: underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals get more cool facts about united healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com
4: it's time to get more in 2024 i know for me one of my goals is to feel really strong this year and honestly so far so good
6: We're back. Chess is often thought of as like a meeting of the minds, essentially, you know, it's, it really is something that you, but you train your mind, right? That something that I took away from watching the show, having never played chess before is how much studying goes into it. Um, you know, it's not just like, Oh, my body's capable of doing this many push-ups against your capability mm-hmm. of doing this many pushups. Uh, there's a lot of studying and training that goes into it were there books, were there masters or gurus? Were there other female chess players that you followed that inspired you um, along the way? So when you did have moments like that, you you knew all the work that you put into it and and you understood, no, this is a meeting of the minds. We're on equal playing grounds here.
5: I mean, chess does require so much work. And even in Queen's Gambit, she does not study enough to be as good as she is. She also didn't lose enough games and get enough draws. So that wasn't really accurate. And I I think when you're seriously studying chess, you're doing chess like four to eight to 10 hours a day, every single day, you're going through everything. So it's not just something that you're going to be naturally good at, you really need to study if you want to improve. Um, And I did have one coach when I was, I think, uh, 12, 12 years old or so, and she was Romanian, same as me. And she was an expert chess player. So she wasn't that much higher rated than me at the time, but she was a fantastic coach. And what she did with me was end games, which tend to be the, um, Eastern European slash Russian school of chess, where you actually study the end game before the opening, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. Cause you're like, well, then how do I know what to do at the middle or at, or at the start of the game? And usually knowing the end game and understanding that has such a deep impact on your chest because you can start planning ahead so much better when you understand, Oh, if I get into this kind of end game, I'm slightly better. So that means I have to go for like this 12 move variation that kind of simplifies into, um, a pawn advantage on this side. So it helps you understand what to do when you know where you're going. So studying end games helped me gain a lot of rating much faster than almost anything else did.
3: Wow. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about this life pivot you did where you were um, competing professionally and your dad was your coach and you were highly successful. And then you decided to start an online community with YouTube and Twitch and all of this stuff. And I read that you had a hard time at first convincing your parents about it and that they may not have loved it in the beginning. Now they're completely supportive, Mm -hmm. but can you talk to us about that transition and what it's like you know, to go from having complete support from your parents to then maybe floundering a little bit in that and then gaining it again. Right.
5: So there there was a little bit of stuff before I made the transition. So I played chess really competitively until like 15 or 16. And then I focused really hard on academics while still playing. Um, but academics became higher priority than chess. Right. And then I went to university. I was studying at Stanford and I did something that my parents really hated. One, I went to China for a little bit And then I decided to start a company, which ended up failing three years later. So my parents were like, she went to China. She ended up not sticking to U.S. China stuff. She started a company. It failed. When is she going to get a real job? And I was like, you know what? I actually want to go back to my passion chess and see if I can make this a thing. And I think my parents were kind of really shocked and they would joke things like, you know, the other, the other kids, they're on their way to med school. Now they're going to be saving lives in five years. And my daughter decided to go back to chess after, you know, not playing for a while and uh, focusing that out completely for content online. So it was a really scary experience for me. Um, and I was so afraid that it would be my third strikeout when I went full time that I didn't do anything except for focus on chess and content for the first couple of of months, maybe even the first year. It was my number one priority; nothing else mattered. So I think I actually saw less people then before COVID than I do now because I at least have a couple friends. That's how in the zone and terrified I was, and it's. Insane how much you can accomplish when your why is answered. So the why for me was so powerful. I was not ready to disappoint my parents and fail for the third time in a row. So I would do whatever it took to basically, um, create this chess community as much as I could given the current condition.
3: Now, I don't want to breeze over the fact that you were how old when you decided to start your own company? I think I was 19 or 20. Twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's so incredibly young to have the wherewithal to think, OK, I'm going to start my own company. So whether you succeed or fail in that endeavor, it's definitely a success because the life experience alone is going to be so valuable for you. You've already done so much at such a young age.
5: I actually do think that's very true. And a lot of investors who give funding to young founders usually assume that they're going to mess up their first company, but then they think that the second time they go for it, they'll remember the connection with the investor and it'll pay off in the long run. So I do hope that's true. And is something that will eventually pay off, but people also remember you for your wins, not for your losses. So even if you spent three years of your life working really hard, but the result just didn't end up, it just looks
6: like a big L. So you got to work on whatever is next. Or at least maybe I'm too harsh in my head. That's how I think generally. No, that there's a lot of wisdom coming out of you right now that can be applied to real life. I mean, having a why having you know teaching yourself about the end results and realizing and trusting that you will figure out a way to get there but being ready for what that end result is your end goal um, there's so many things that you can take from what you're learning in chess and apply it to real life and also exactly what you're saying like you're gonna lose some games and people are going to remember you for your wins and and that is such important lessons to know did you feel like a lot of these things, came from chess? Uh, were these from coaches? were these was this from your own kind of um, studying for your for your mental ability to be able to handle the scrutiny intensity that comes with playing chess? Chess did help me get some mental fortitude that I don't think I would have
5: gotten if it weren't for chess because I went through different experiences. One was working really hard for this game I was really passionate about and getting results, but I also went through periods in chess um, as I was you know, approaching master level where I would study four or five hours after school every single day and my progress would be so slow because you can be studying for things and they just never come when you play the game. Like maybe you studied one particular variation and nobody's going to play it until like two years later when you've already forgotten what you learned. And it kind of taught me that sometimes you put in work and it pays off and it looks really good, but sometimes you put in a similar amount of work and you don't get that result, which really got me thinking about luck and circumstance and how, when I am going through a really difficult period, um, I just have to keep pushing through it because the longer you continue for something, the more likelihood that you're going to get that one lucky break. So it kind of changed that mentality for me with being willing to go through the lows until it gets better.
6: Well, it's definitely better. You're doing excellent, not only on the platform of Twitch, which I had to Google what it was before this interview, which is so embarrassing. (laughs) What's your impression? What's
5: your impression of Twitch?
6: Um, From what I know, it's where a lot of game. it's like a gaming community where people can watch gamers play video games live. Like if there's like a big
5: concept for you to be watching somebody play video games.
6: Yes. But also before we all got on this interview, Melissa, Kayla and myself were talking about The Real Housewives. So I watch so much reality TV that I'm like, well, I can't really say that it's weird to watch people game when I'm watching people just like drink too much in Cabo and fight with each other, <laughs> right? You know, on Recate, right. right. But, you know, to your credit, you have taken this opportunity on this platform and and done an incredible job. Um, you know, you guys have 430,000 followers on Twitch as of November 2020. So it's probably more now. Sure.
5: Almost at 700 K now. Oh my <gasps> gosh, that. that's huge.
6: And then again, you probably have more, but on your YouTube channel, you had 170,000 followers as of November, 2020. Um, and you just started that within a couple of years ago. And so all of this work that you're discussing that you've, you know, put towards building opportunity out of your passion, mm-hmm. you've been successful in. So congratulations, first of all. Oh, thank so much yeah absolutely and how does it feel how does it feel to be at this point knowing that you can reflect kind of on lower periods of time where you didn't really know when the positive outcome would happen how it would happen and then here you are at this like perfect meeting point of your hard work um opportunity and then the luck of a show like queen's gambit that have so many more eyeballs on you
5: Um, As somebody who's always thinking about the future, what I've been working on in this last year is really taking time to pause and be grateful for the moment. Um, Because on one end, I'm thinking, okay, now that we made it here, what is the next step? And it's really exciting because I I think um, growth is not linear. So it's harder to go from zero to 100,000 followers than 100,000 to a million, for example, even though you're growing so much rapidly because you learn things And you're able to get this exponential growth. So that's the next thing I'm thinking about. But at the same time, things have gone so well. And I'm 25 and I'm relatively young. And I don't know where they're going to go from here. I was not born to be a content creator. um, And now I'm learning all of these things that are very difficult for me. And I'm trying to adapt to them because it's not what I was trained for. So I don't know where it's going to go and if we're going to be able to get there. But I'm just really thankful the situation that I'm in. And I am finally kind of enjoying what has been years of work to get here.
3: And you have such a wonderful perspective, uh, not only on the game, but on the outlook of life in general for such a young age. I know you said you don't know where the future is, but if you could put it out there, what would you? Let's do it. it, But I love predicting. (laughs) So let's predict, let's predict. Where will we see you two years from now and then 10 years from now?
5: So two years from now, I would see myself still being focused on content. I'm very much of a tunnel vision person. And I think if you want to do anything well, it has to be your main focus. So I don't want to dabble too much in other things because then I'm not going to be able to grow as a content creator. Over a period of something like 10 years, I just know what drives me internally. And I hate using the word entrepreneur because a lot of people use it and you put it like in their Instagram bio and they haven't done anything. So I'm not (laughs) going to use it until maybe 10 years from now when I've accomplished it. But I do think I have an entrepreneurial mindset where my favorite thing is working on my own thing. It's just... So exciting. I love the experience of putting something into the world and then seeing it grow over time. I also like being an operator and I'm really interested in business and marketing and that kind of thing. So it's the kind of podcasts I listen to or books I read or trying to learn how other people are doing. So I'm definitely going to see myself starting another company in the next 10 years. And it's probably going to be focused in the entertainment space and trying to use the things that I learned as a content creator myself and what kind of problems that are there to be solved in the
6: space.
3: Well, I can't wait to see what you do. Truly.
6: I really appreciate it, Kayla. (laughs) So for our listeners that are inspired by hearing you today and have decided that they want to take up chess, what is kind of a step one that they can take? Mm -hmm. And can they also would watching your Twitch channel um, or watching you on Twitch, would that help them learn how to play the game or is that too far advanced?
5: I'm actually working on some YouTube videos that are going to be really helpful, but there's a ton of chess content out there. People like Gotham Chess, they can look up on YouTube who has fantastic beginner manuals or Agad Mador, who's the biggest YouTuber. He just hit 1 million and he just does instructional content. So there's so much free things out there, but... The most important thing is actually taking, let's say like 10, 15 minutes to sit down and play a game online. And then you could look at it after say you're using chess.com. They do this analysis tool that it tells you where it went wrong and you have to kind of do the work if you want to improve, but it's also very cool to just sit for 15 minutes and be completely focused on a game. It really helps your focus. It's kind of also like a nice kind of meditation. So it's, it goes beyond just playing chess, you know, because you want to win and be competitive, but once you start doing it over the time and you start growing and you start seeing that it actually helps your focus, for example, um, maybe before you'd be checking your phone all the time, put your phone down for 15 minutes, try to play. And chess is one of the things that even for me and my sister who has ADHD helps us get completely
3: in the zone. I want to touch on for a minute, just you said your sister has ADHD and she also is able to focus and play chess. Is there any advice that you have given her to help her with that or take us a little bit through the process of trying to, how does that help?
5: So my sister and I are actually very different. I'm the kind of person who, when I'm doing something, there could be a gorilla running around and I'm not going to see anything except for the task I'm focused on. Whereas my sister, she gets distracted very quickly. So She's actually given the advice for, for her ADHD. When she plays and she realizes she's not focusing, she kind of mentally reminds herself to focus. And the game is interesting enough. And it's kind of like one of those things Once well, you've invested enough time, you've been playing this game for five minutes, you start being so focused because you're already emotionally attached to it. You really want to win the game. It's harder to focus at the start, but after you've put in that initial effort, it becomes a lot easier. And then you can keep mentally telling yourself when you notice you're not focused to focus, but then the time starts getting lower and you don't even have to tell yourself that anymore because it's so intense that you just focus naturally because I think there's stakes. And that's why I like stakes because when there's something on the line and it's something important to you, you're completely focused. Things won't distract you.
6: And there's an element of it, of figuring out your ability to control the board. Um, whereas in life, uh, I think what can feel quite stressful, especially in a year like 2020 coming into 2021, is this kind of free falling, not really feeling like we're in control but within the pandemic and what life is going to look like afterwards. So I can see where chess would be really beneficial and why so many people mm-hmm. found themselves, you know, back to the board or an online, you know, chess playing group in order to kind of relieve themselves of some of that stress and anxiety.
5: That's a great point. I think having some sense of control is really, really helpful and feeling like you can control your own progress in a world where otherwise a lot of things just have to blow deal with the punches.
3: Alexandra, I have to tell you, you are truly exceptional and you have given us such wonderful life advice. And um, I know that our listeners are going to just be as big fans of yours as candace and i both are um Aww. where where can they find you on social media give us all the the instagrams the twitch everything
5: i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me my uh, twitter is alexandra v Botes. um i post thoughts and also a lot of memes between me and my little sister so kind of just mm-hmm. us going back and forth on things
6: mm-hmm. um my instagram is Miss our YouTube and Twitch is Botez live. Thank you so much. Is there one final thing you can leave us with? Is there kind of a mantra that you have when you play chess or one thing that you've really that you've taken from playing the game of chess that you apply to life um, off the board?
5: Focus on things you can control. That's what helps me the most in chess and in life and trying to realize when something is causing you anxiety, um, If it's not something you could deal with, then just look at the variables in your life that you can, and that usually helps.
3: You heard it here, you guys. Thank you, Alexandra, so much, truly. Thanks so much,
2: everyone.
6: I mean, all we keep saying is how cool she is. She's so <laughs> cool. Alexandra, you're so cool. <laughs> And we we have taken so much wisdom from sitting down with you today. And Melissa, our producer, pointed out that all this incredible wisdom that you are referencing w- could all be traced back to the game of chess. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what I think um, made this conversation so special and so inspiring. And you can take a passion of yours that started from such a young age, and it can guide you and lead you through your life. Um, still at the tender age of 25,
3: but... It, but I, I, I've got no words. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I feel like I need to play chess. I know that's one of the things that I love so much about our conversation is realizing within the first few minutes why she's so successful at such a young age and, you know, how well Alexandra has learned from her failures. And just taking those experiences and bounced back and started something anew. And yeah, you, you are right. There's so much to learn from her. I, I said to her off air once our conversation was over, how I, if I could raise a daughter to be half of who she is, I would feel like I am so successful. So um, Alexander, congrats to you for being such a wonderful individual and your parents for doing such a good job. And I just know she's going to run the world one day. You've never played chess. no. Checkers. Have, yes. yes no. Okay. Checkers. Are do you feel like you're good at checkers? <laughs> I don't know the last time I played, I think it was 10 when I played the last really? time I played. <laughs> so I truly have no idea. How about you? Well, Joe and I play checkers and
6: I, I feel like I have prided myself in my life that I was always really good at Scrabble. Like I, I felt really good at playing Scrabble against anyone. I felt really good about playing checkers and Joe gets me every time. And it's like, it starts off as like a cute, like, oh, we'll just have some wine, especially in a year like 2020, when we played more board games, you know, while we were traveling a little bit on our road trip and, you know, and it would lead to some pretty heated, like we need to take some timeouts and a mom has got to leave the room for a minute because I missed the five moves that you already saw ahead of me. It can relate to this the idea that the rest of the world kind of disappears for a while. And it makes you focus on the present moment in a really Mm. beautiful way. And even today, just sitting down and talking with Alexandra, the way in which she spoke and how she spoke about life and the game of chess, I feel like everything kind of faded away for a minute. Mm. It inspired me to want to find something that does that in my life. So maybe Kayla, maybe you and I have a little checkers tournament later this week.
3: Well, I would love that. And I'm also wondering next time you and Joe play and you lose, will you handle it differently since this conversation with Alexandra? I I just rolled my eyes, but I will say yes. Um, but now
6: my trash talking is going to just be awesome. I'm just going to start saying things like, oh, wow, your king must be tired from running all over this board. Checkers don't have kings. I, you know what? Maybe mine does, Kayla. Maybe that's what I bring to the game of checkers.
3: Wait, am I right? Or does it just have queens? See how I don't long know. it's been since I've played. Alexandra, okay. we need you. <laughs> we need you back, Alexandra. We need you back. We'll
6: have a follow-up episode all about checkers. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. We'll have an all-new episode of Directionally Challenged waiting for you next week.
3: Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa
6: DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast